You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Part 4. A Strange Place. Chapter 18. The Other House. From the journals of Private Abigail Gray and James Penrose. Briar Hill, West Virginia, October 20th, 1882. Now. We traveled east away from what I must now call New Athens to arrive in Fayetteville within a few hours. Similarly to Clearwater, it had also been resettled. It seemed that for a certain span of years, during a period of upheaval, people found themselves more likened to risking life on the road, heading for less infested areas than staying put and holding out against the tide. Yet down south, the story was the same. And like hermit crabs, journeying from shell to shell, it appears America has been engaged in a coordinated dance of fluctuating habitation. I pray, then, that my parents and the people of Clearwater found themselves a suitably safe and cozy shell to occupy, somewhere out west, even if it meant starting again from scratch. Now that I have seen the edifice of the town in their absence, my mind turns to the others I will never meet again. Pastor McNichols and his wife. Mr. and Mrs. Gumridge from the general store. My school teachers, Mrs. Wing and Miss Spears. The Percival family, the children of which did not make the journey of evacuation to Weirwood. In fact, now, divorced from immediate proximity, I wonder how Catherine ever convinced so many people to entrust their children to her. And I also wonder how many might be living this day had they never set foot in Weirwood. Fayetteville had a small population, and one thing they genuinely needed was medical attention. Their chief medical officer, Callum Green, was young and unpracticed and had gotten by on guesswork for far too much of the time. Subsequently, they had had a lot of deaths and losses of limb due to infection over the past few years. They traded with New Athens and managed to get by growing their own food, mostly oats and apples, but special items like medicines were simply unobtainable. James sat in the surgery from 10 in the morning, mere minutes after our arrival until past 9 at night, and proceeded to see the entire town one by one. He appointed three scribes, working in shifts to make notes for each person as he did so, and talked green through each procedure, organizing a timetable of priority. Annie spent her time calling upon her basic field medical training, teaching several men and women how to fabricate bandages and splints from what was available to them, how to clean wounds properly with grain alcohol, and how to adequately stitch a person back together. I gathered the hunting teams, and Annie and I both talked them through a few techniques to better and more effectively land the animals in the area in greater abundance, as well as getting the nearby lands mapped out from their description. James left most of his implements and medicines with Green, stating that he could acquire some more back in Elkview when we returned. He took back only his bag and a basic field kit. 
we stayed with the town another day and arranged for a telegraph point. That night we all ate freshly caught and fire-grilled smallmouth bass from the New River. Their leader, a grizzled old farmer named Mackay, presented our group with a basket of apples and wildflowers, picked by the town for us. This simple act of repayment for the help we'd offered was like a gentle smear of ointment on the burn of my failure in New Athens. The next morning, we crossed the Hawk's Nest Dam and headed northwest, away from the Gauley River. Ahead of us lay a large expanse of West Virginia wilderness. It was our intention to scout and map out the areas between the northern journey from Weirwood and our southern descent from Elkview. As such, we rode at speed and fairly far apart, making notes as we went, though I vouched the others were neater than my own. This was going to be our first encampment out in the open. By my estimation, at 4 p.m., we weren't too far from where we had rested with 12th Company, so we pressed on, hoping to find somewhere secluded. As the afternoon sun began to descend, nowhere presented itself as suitable. There. There's a pathway. I don't know, Captain. That path looks pretty overgrown. Which means wherever it leads is no longer occupied. It's your choice, Gray. You're still in charge until we get back. If the alternative is pitching our tent in the road, leaving us all kinds of exposed, I'd suggest we at least scout through there to see if there's a building we might be able to hole up in. I agree. Penrose? I concur. It's worth a look. We pressed through the woodland pathway and followed a winding track uphill, leading our horses through the brambles and nudging them aside with our rifles to prevent deep scratches to their unprotected legs. My horse, Daisy, had finally begun to warm up to me and was obeying her commands. I kept one hand on her warm flank as we passed through the woods. The path came to a gate, surrounded by high stone walls, passing off in either direction into the woods. It had rusted and atrophied. Your choice, Gray. Do we break in? I gazed through to the other side and saw, bathed in the rays of the dying sun, a grand old mansion. Examining the periphery, I saw the high walls stretched all around the vast overgrown lawns, and behind them, more darkening woods loomed. Speaking purely from my own point of view, if one discovers a secret house locked away in the woods and doesn't immediately follow one's instinct to investigate. I think I could get up and over. If we need a scout, I'll do it, but we'll have to leave the horses here. So? I eyed the spikes on top of the gate. On closer inspection, they presented a jagged impediment to my improvised entry. I caught a flash of what it might be like to misstep and land heavily on them during my clamber. Sanity prevailed. Shall I prepare my bone saw for the imminent infection? Oh, wait, that fellow Green has it. Force the lock. If we're going to need to get out of here quickly, I don't want to have to scramble over this. The captain wrenched the lock upward. It was more complicated than it seemed at first. Several bars had been attached in a way that made the final opening a feat of puzzle solving. But eventually the fastening fell away and the gate creaked open. James was staring at the ground beneath our feet. I recognize those depressions in the earth there. Footprints, Claude. Wendigos. 
We should hurry. Lock the gate behind us. Obviously, it's kept him out so far. Getting the fastenings back onto the gate now seemed even more complicated and deafeningly loud. By the time we were done, our nerves were shredded. We turned back to the house and approached slowly up the pathway. Something seemed amiss. The outside of the mansion was covered with ivy, betraying years of neglect, yet as we approached the front door, a square of lawn had been cut with mathematical precision, and recently, too. Despite the overgrowth of weeds everywhere else, there were newly tended flower beds with blooms I'd not seen before. I ascended the front steps, and rather than barging through the front door, knocked experimentally. We heard voices, footsteps, and the door was opened and drawn back. Yes? A shortish man of advancing years, with grey and brown hair and spectacles, stood framed in the doorway. He was clad in a faded brown three-piece suit and sported an unreadable expression. Uh, sorry to disturb you, sir. As you can see, it's nearly nightfall, and we don't want to be out in uncharted territories with them creatures around. Could we perhaps stay for the evening? We'll be gone at first light. We have a basket of apples and flowers to offer for our shelter. Who are you people? We're from the government. Don't worry, we're just passing through on business. We aren't here to nose around your house. And we'll lock the gate behind us. One moment. Sorry, I had no idea there was going to be someone there. I hadn't prepared. Well, at least you told the truth. Be ready, though. At this, I could see her unlatch the leather clasp on one of her pistols, letting go of the reins on her horse. The man returned to the door. Let me show you to the stables. Oh, I mean, that's awful nice of you, sir. We, d- we don't mind staying in there. For the horses, obviously. You are welcome in our home. I am Professor Johann Krieger. This area you have walked into is Briar Hill, and the house of Verstecht. He marched along the path and ran to the side, where we indeed found a series of stables. They were all empty, and had not been used in years. We lashed our steeds there, and fed them a few apples before departing for the house. We shall need water from the pumps for your animals, and for you. I was just admiring your flowers, sir. Are those white chrysanthemums? They're Edelweiss. And the red ones? I call those Charlottes. They're amazingly beautiful. Many thanks. Come in, come in. It is Greta you should be expressing this to. She is the botanist in our little family. Greta, are you decent? Never in my life. The voice came from two rooms away. We were led through the front hall of the mansion. The boards were warm with walking, and the walls hung with fine, untended pictures, all eroding with the decay of time. Dust motes dotted the air, speckling the sunset. Then, the front door was closed, and we were plunged into darkness as I realized the windows had all been shuttered, and the only light came from the candle the professor held. There was a strong scent of lavender in the air, sitting atop the odors of must and fermentation and something else I couldn't quite place. Magnesium. We were led through the darkened hall into a drawing room, 
and sat in one corner was a lady. Unlike her companion, she was tall, with curled auburn hair, streaked with occasional grey. An orange and blue silk scarf was tied around the back of her head, covering her eyes. I'm Captain Annie Oakley, sir and madam. This is Private James Penrose and Private Abigail Gray. This is Greta. Greta, these are government representatives. That sounds exciting. Have you come with news of the outside? We have a book full of it. Ah, splendid. May I? Why, sure. I mean, usually we'd read it to you, but if you want to... The Cartographer's Handbook by Thomas W. Arlington. Introduction. I will begin by extending my greetings to all peoples who are reading or hearing these words. It is my blessed privilege to have been granted the lines of communication necessary to bring them to you. You three had better help yourself to some food. The kitchen is right to there. Eat as much as you please. Thank you. We followed a rope tied to the wall which led round and through to the kitchen, leaving Krieger to continue reading aloud. Oakley had loosened her tension and chatted with Abigail and I as we divested ourselves of our coats, finding food in the kitchen cupboards and arranging it on the table. I took a bucket outside to the water pump and stared back at the house as I drew up a clear and very fresh stream of it. I examined from afar the boarded, shuttered windows along the east side of the house, secured against outside spying and attack. This place seemed pleasant and I was quite taken aback by how immediate and warm our welcome was. Still, there was something unnerving about the dilapidation. There seemed to be no other occupants, just these two living alone in this seclusion. I surmised that as Greta was apparently blind, that Krieger left what she couldn't see to rot, instead focusing his efforts on what could be touched, heard, smelled, and tasted. As I crossed the stables to deliver the water, something caught my eye, far off. I realized it was movement in the trees behind the wall. I froze and fixed on the position. A branch swayed, possibly from a gust of wind, possibly not. My ears strained against the air, but all I could hear was crickets. I poured the water into the horse trough and then returned to the pump for another bucketful before hurrying back inside, closing and bolting the door behind me. I think there may be something out there in the woods. Feels like it. What are we going to do? We can't go straight back out into it. Mind if I lay down a plan, Abigail? Please do. I'm out of my depth here. We'll talk to those two. See what's out there. If it's Wendigos, we sit tight. They've clearly kept them at bay for years, so we do whatever they do. If they want to come with us tomorrow to somewhere safe... Our horses can take a passenger, long as they travel real light. So we just have to last the night? Yes. <sighs> okay. We can do that. You've fought those things before, right? A couple of times, yeah. But I had a team with me, and we were on home turf. Plus, I didn't know just how dangerous they were back then. We just knew to shoot them quick and stay away from the blood. That's a good policy. You should follow it too, James. 
What happened to Private Penrose? I don't know. Maybe he got distracted. I mean to say, we seem to be on first name terms. I know what you mean, James, but I'm more inclined to work smoothly with friends. Now both of you stay close to me. I had already decided to quit digging my heels in. I nibbled on some more of the strange dried fruits we had found in their store cupboards and thanked the Lord for the good couple of nights' sleep we'd gotten in Fayetteville. We moved back into the drawing room and sat for the last hour of the professor's reading. Greta sat with her head cocked in rapt attention. When he'd finished, he approached her on his knees and reached out to touch her hands. She lowered her forehead to touch against his, and they sat like that for some time, whispering faintly to one another in what I took to be German or one of those languages. I found my eyelids drooping. My mind drifted back to Weirwood and how Catherine had deliberately grown herbs and flowers around the front entrance that would slightly intoxicate and render a subtle vulnerability to those unfamiliar with the scent. Lavender had been one of them, and its heavy presence here was wonderfully conducive to an early evening nap. Wake up, cartographers. I am awake. Just letting you two talk it through. That was a splendid book. We offer our aid to you, the Reunified States Armed Forces. That's great to hear. You're doing more than enough just letting us stay. That is nothing. It is an honor to shelter three so brave. Thank you. It's lovely to be in a house like this. I'll bet there's a ton of history behind it. Oh, yes. This is my family home. It was once a place of great lightness, love, and learning. I engaged in my studies here and... But, of course, as with so many cases in your book, that came to an end when the creatures entered our garden. All the rest are gone now. Our families, friends and retainers, fled or else dead. And who is that? The lady. I had spotted a large framed photograph on the wall earlier. It was this house, minus the ivy and overgrowth. In front of it, proudly, sat our professor, with Greta by his left side, her eyes unburdened by a scarf. Surrounding them was a small staff. Cook, two maids, stable boy, nurse. And on Krieger's right was another lady. This one was fair, more slight of build. All of them looked out at us with that sombre expression of any captured photographically. Krieger stood and pulled up a dust sheet, obscuring the picture from view. That was Greta's sister, Charlotte. I'd ask you not to mention her again, lest you upset my wife. She was my... our... She was very sick. Passed away some years ago, leaving us alone. My apologies. I did not mean to pry anywhere painful. So, what do you think of our efforts and plans from the book? Beyond admirable. This director Arlington is a great man. A unifier. We would wish him all strength and opportunity to achieve his goals, and more besides. That's good to hear, because uh, I've got something serious I'd like to ask the both of you. Johann, Liebchen, can you fetch me a little brandy? I must give this lady my full attention. At once, my Nischneinmetschlikfrau. Would you three like some? We're fine. Gotta keep our senses sharp. Listen, here's my question. Do you wish to leave this place? I ask, because when we depart tomorrow, we can we can take you with us. Oh, no. We are safe here, I think. Really? 
because it seems like you might have wendigos in your woods. Oh, certainly there are. How many, do you think? Impossible to tell. But we have heard many of their calls at once over the years. But they can't get over the walls and in here. Oh, but they can. That is why we keep the house locked down. When we venture out, it's just for brief windows of fresh air, sitting in the garden with our flowers. At this, he stroked Greta's hand, and she smiled. But we must always return here to safety. Forgive me, Fraulein, but I do not think we would blend well with the others. Not with Greta's condition. Of course, that is your choice. But could I mark this house as a haven for traveling government agents? There's not an awful lot of shelter out there. I will ask you not to. We are happy to have you here for the night, but we need to be left alone. Besides, it would not be safe for your men. More visitors may attract attention from the wildlife. I understand your need for privacy, but we'll have to pass through at some point, if only to eliminate the Wendigos themselves. Is that so? I'll try to handle things myself and keep them steered away from this house, but I can't promise you you'll stay alone out here. As you read, we're all for bringing everyone back together. I thank you for your kindness and respect for us. We have not spoken to anyone else in a long time. You have been listening to episode 18 of Secret Rooms, The Other House, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley performed by Loretta Saylor. James Penrose performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray performed by Sharon Shaw. Greta performed by Maureen Foley. Krieger performed by Matt Wardle. Awakening, Fall, Lamentation and Ossuary composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Hui, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gesiger, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm. Uncivil Outlaw, the first book after Steamheart, the beginning of Phase 2 of the New Century Multiverse, the audio drama series, is in production and will begin its release at the end of Secret Rooms. Meanwhile, the novel is available on Amazon, on the Kindle store, and in paperback form. It's a real page-turner, and it could definitely use a few reviews.